Well, uh, welcome uh, back after your coffee break. Hopefully you've, uh, you're well fed and watered and got yourself a book or two maybe. Uh, this is our final, we've had our five obviously um, sessions of Bible teaching and this is your opportunity now uh, to have any questions you might have uh, about the book of Philippians, about Lee, about church life. Um, <laughs> Have to, you wouldn't mind actually getting another question there for you. Um, so, yeah, there's questions in here. We don't actually have as many as we normally do. So if you have a question, oh, that's you, you, feel like, you feel like shouting out, Lee's answered all your questions already. You know, that's, that's good. That's it, yeah. But if you have any others as well, you've, you're just thinking about as you're sitting there, um, feel free to um, put your hand up and we, we'll get those answered as well. I'll just get this other one. <laughs> I'll put the box beside me maybe and then you um, so first, thank you, Lee, for, uh, for leading us so well through. Uh, I'll get into the questions here. Um, we'll start off with a broad, uh, broad one relating to Philippians. Uh, what do you believe is the center or central point of Philippians? I think in many ways the central, the central, the central point is... Um, in many ways, it's, it's, it's that passage to do with um, the condescension of the Lord Jesus. And in many ways, everything else spin, spins out of there. Um, his, his mindset. Uh, so I suppose of that, that would be one, one key idea. The mind, sharing in the mindset of the Lord Jesus and how that changes everything uh, in terms of relationship and values and future uh, And in fact, if you kind of read through the, the word, that, that word mindset, attitude, uh, it, it comes in more times in well, more times in this book than in any other book proportionally. Uh, and then, if you have that mindset, that of giving yourself for others, ironically, that leads to joy. Uh, and I guess that would be the, the kind of core uh, truths of Philippians, the unique contribution I think that it's it's making to the New Testament. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, has the Western church, it's a broad question again, has the Western church become too me-centered? There's I, an easy answer to that. Yeah, I think, I, think, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think the answer is probably yes, uh, in terms of uh, we, are, we are profoundly affected by the culture that we live in, would be naive to think that we're not. Uh, and if our, you know, if our culture is profoundly individualistic, then it's entirely unsurprising that that has filtered into the church. And I think there's all sorts of ways in which we see it's filtered into the church. Uh, you, you can see it, especially if you, if you move between cultures, if you've got the opportunity to travel, if you get the opportunity to travel to the Middle East, if you get the opportunity to travel to, to, um, to China or to, to anywhere that's very non-Western, uh, you will see there's a very, uh, probably even South America as well, uh, in terms of... Um, communal way to, to, to read the Bible, uh, very strong on the family unit, uh, very strong in the nature of community, um, that, yeah, we, we are infected by that. And that means when we read the New Testament, when we read the word you, for example, we will always read it you personally, me, individual, uh, but more often than not, it's actually you, usens. <laughs> it's more that would be a good, better translation. It's, it's, it's use, yeah, usens. 
do this or that or the other. Uh, and I think that is a, that's a big challenge for us, to try to take those lenses off uh, and, and see, see things in a slightly different way. Yeah, and to, to connect two things, one you said today about advertising uh, and basically the message selling discontent, you're discontent until you get our product and to connect that to last night about what we fill our minds with. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting just that, I mean, the amount of time we maybe read our Bibles each day and then the amount of time we either spend in home groups or Bible studies or preaching once or twice a week compared to the constant stream yeah, of messages that we're getting. And not only from advertisements, but even the BBC, you know, this sort of subtle... But the BBC's completely that, uh, neutral. And, yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, where uh, even news, there's so much in the last year, you may be familiar with the sort of fake news as there's so much, but even with the media, there's, there's a slant on everything. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we need to, to be discerning about what we're being fed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, then, uh, this, based on this morning's uh, uh, talk and the application towards um, our giving, how do we give money uh, or, and or time without that, feeling, or without that feeding into a sense of self-righteousness? How do we protect ourselves oh, against that? <clears throat> Again, um, this is the danger uh, of taking one little passage and looking at it without putting it in the context of the, the whole letter because um, you're meant to read you're almost meant to read the New Testament letters in, in one sitting uh, and there's, there's I think if you're reading the, the, the Philippians for example all the way through by the time you get to the end and it calls you to give bearing in mind all that Christ has done for you that's the antidote to self-righteousness. And, and you see it a bit more clearly, I think, in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul talks again about generosity. Uh, and, you know, I, we, I quoted it in the prayer at the very end. You know, he was rich beyond all measure. For our sakes became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Do you know what you should give then? That's where Paul goes from there. But that, that, that he is, he's sort of almost given you preventative medicine for any, any hint of self-righteousness uh, in that. Um, I, th- I think I wanted just to pick up on one thing I probably should have said that I didn't say, uh, that in, where, where is he, Daniel? Daniel, pick me up on. Um, just on the note of 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9, uh, which, is a, which is worth reading uh, in light of what we were thinking about this morning, this whole idea of generosity. Um, Paul talks about money, in terms of seeds, I think this is really helpful. He talks of money in terms of seeds. So the prosperity gospel would read a passage like that and say, you should give and it'll be, you'll be in credit in the long run. The implication is if you give, you will get the same back. Money will come back to you again. Paul uses a radically different metaphor. He says, no, when, you, when a farmer plants seeds in the ground... You don't get seeds back again. You get something different and better. You get fruit back again. Uh, And so it's the same with money. We plant money not to get money back. We plant money to get fruit that is different and better. Uh, And it's gospel fruit that Paul uh, goes on to talk about. And that's the implication here as well. Gospel fruit. So this is just as a bit of a guard against that kind of prosperity gospel. I don't want to be misunderstood as promoting that in any way mm-hmm. yeah and there's there's so many passages in the new testament that relate saint corinthians 8 and 9 
one if you're I found a very helpful little booklet by John Stott called The Grace of Giving where he just sort of walks through uh, those two chapters um, we don't have it on the bookstall but we can get it in the future maybe yeah. come back in the come back in the, the winter and we'll have it yeah. um, another question then maybe we'll stay on that theme of uh, giving um, a, a very sort of focused question here as a general rule do you think Christians locally are generous enough with their money I can't I can't comment on that <laughs> Uh, what I can comment on... Omniscience? Is uh, what? Omniscience? Okay, <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. Uh, I can comment on my own church, uh, and I've been really encouraged of late uh, of uh, their giving financially, giving in, in time. The, so, been encouraged at their giving, so hopefully they're listening, be encouraged. Um, of their giving financially, we had a bit of a. We're kind of selling the idea that we want to be more outward-looking. We want to take on a new initiative to plant a church somewhere to, to raise up, get some money together for a for a salary for that. And the church gave very, very generously uh, for that. And in two weeks, it was sorted. We had fifty grand in two weeks, no problem. Uh, so very generous. I think the challenge for us in Northern Ireland. Uh, is not money. I think money's the of the time and treasure and talent. Uh, money is the easiest one to give of those three. I think increasingly. Uh, and so, what what do you mean? My question then would be, what do you mean by generous? If it's just money, well, uh, yeah, yeah, they're generous with that. Time is the big thing. Um, we are money rich, time poor, and so. It's almost a bigger sacrifice to kind of set up your life in a slightly different way uh, to give money to Christian service. Uh, and that would be one of the things that I want to help some of our people think about in a bit more detail. Uh, I have a question to follow on from that in relation to our time and how we serve. Um, I often think there's almost two contexts in which we can serve in. There's the, the physical church building we go to uh, to gather with God's people to worship and there's the houses and the community around about that uh, and often churches run different initiatives you know, children's clubs to reach out to that community but oftentimes, especially in Northern Ireland we tend to drive you know, a bit of a distance to church and actually we spend most of our time with our, you know, our colleagues, our friends or people who are not actually living in that community uh, and I think you touched on it on Friday night certainly about rubbing shoulder to shoulder with who we are reaching out to but how would you comment on how, who we should be reaching? Should it be both? Should one be weighted more um, in those two contexts? Who we're, re- who we're reaching? Who we seek to reach? I mean, okay. it's everyone, but yeah, yeah. what... what Again, it, depend, it depends where you are. Uh, I think if, uh, if you are based in a rural setting where you're, you're a, small, a small town, small village, I think inevitably... Well, not inevitably, but could be that actually geography is going to be how you think about who I should be reaching out to. But I think increasingly with cars and people commuting big distances to where they do to work and to socialise, and I think uh, we, we, we live and operate within networks of contacts, and then I think we need to maybe think through how we can work together to reach contacts. So classic example uh, for me is the, the, the Gospel in the City initiative in, in Belfast at the minute. 
where um, a friend of mine, Sam Bostock, has set up just a little Bible talk Wednesday lunchtime for those who are working in the city, who have colleagues who are Christians and have non-Christian friends who they want to invite. But the reality is when they commute home, they, they drive off in radically different directions. So maybe there's, this is a way of Christian, Christians working together to reach networks of people because it's very difficult for you to, if you, you're driving off in different directions from your colleague then to invite them to the church event that's happening in your church, which is for them 40 minutes drive away. That's, that's a tough sale. So is there anything that we can be doing together? And, and I think maybe we, we need to think of that gospel partnership across different local churches, uh, but both and rather than either or, I think ultimately. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, if God is sovereign in control outside of time, um, I can't quite read that word. But oh, that's do, you, <laughs> do, you, do you believe in him having... I can't read this, actually. I, I did read it in advance and thought I knew, but I've, I've got confused here. Uh, having a spouse set apart for his children. Oh, good question. A, a, particular, a particular person? Is that, that the idea, you think? If God's sovereign, has he a special... Oh, a special, is it a special a, a, someone that God has chosen for, for me to marry or to... Yeah. I think, I think that's it, rather than Christ and the church as the bride. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably going with the former. I yeah, go with okay. former. Probably, <laughs> probably is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me just say a couple of things. Number one, uh, I passionately believe that God is absolutely sovereign. Um, he is in control of the end uh, to the beginning, and and the, the beginning to the end rather. Uh, and He's in control of how the events of history unfold. That that is seen in the way when He makes a prediction. It happens exactly. Uh, you can't, unless you're in control of every, every single element, you cannot make predictions and guarantee that they're going to work out exactly. One little thing that's off uh, would, would, would wreck it. Uh, but God can predict right down to a person's name who is going to be the, the emperor of Persia. You know, hundreds of years before that happens. Uh, he can, you know and so on and so forth. We could keep going. Uh, we, God is in control. Um, he is transcendent. Um, however, uh, God, this is really connected. So we want to say that one, that's true. God knows everything. Um, and so at one level, if you are going to get married, um, when you get married, you can know that's the one God chose for me. So looking back, you can, you can say, yep, that's the one. God, God set them apart for me. But the problem is we work within history, so we can't we can know that. We, there's no way beforehand you can say, and this is, I suspect, where the question is ultimately going, this, therefore, is the girl God has set apart for me before I marry her. There's no promise that God would give you that little tidbit of information prior. It'd be lovely if he did, but he doesn't. He doesn't do it that way. Um, and so it requires us to, again, what, what, how do we chart the course of our lives? And I think that's where Philippians 3 is really helpful. We, we, we chart our course. Think of it as a compass and not a map. God has given you a compass. 
general principle direction. But he hasn't given you like a you know an underground tube map. Oh yeah, I need to go here and then I need to do that and then I need to go there and so on. He hasn't so so you've got the general principle. He's called me to, to get to know Jesus better, to live for him, serve him in whatever ways I can with the gifts and abilities that he's given me. Uh, and each time I'd be asking the question in, in all of the different areas of life, where to live, work, who to marry, uh, whether to do international mission or not or whatever, you've got to be asking yourself with this general principle, what will help me get to know Jesus better? What will help me to become more like him? Um, and that's all you've got. I, I don't know. Is that, yeah. I, that's probably frustrating. Come back to me and ask me more if you want to kind of push back on any aspect of it. Yeah. No, I find very, that very helpful last night, just the way you applied that principle of will this situation, circumstance, relationship help me to know and I become more like Christ? Or mm-hmm. if it's not and I can do that better on my own, then I'll, that's yeah. the better option. Yeah, yeah, I find that very helpful. Yeah. Another thing... I find there's a Kevin DeYoung has a very helpful little book on all those sort of issues of guidance called Just Do Something. Uh, there's a fancy subtitle to that that I can't remember it all, uh, but it's, helpful. it's a helpful it's little, little yeah. book um, uh, to look at if you have questions on those sort of guidance, question, guidance issues. Um, another question on the, uh, the, what you addressed in terms of partnering with people. I think it was from Friday night, um, where it might be good for people to work uh, together for the sake of the gospel, but is it sometimes better to not work together with people that you can't get along with? Uh, and there's a reference to the example in Acts where Paul and Barnabas split from, uh, with Silas and Mark and uh, Barnabas heads off with Mark and Paul uh, heads off with Silas um, and they decide not to work together. Um, and yet the same Paul is addressing in Philippians, you know, telling them to work together. So is there a contradiction there or oh, what's oh, going on? Right. Um, first, let me make a comment on Acts. Acts is a tricky book in one sense to read because there's a, there's a profound difference between description and prescription. Uh, you need to be very careful. Just because it happened that way doesn't mean that Luke is saying this is what, this is the print, this is what you should do. Um, there's, um, th- th- that's what happened that way. These guys kind of had a brow and they fell out. And uh, again, as we talked last night, that is entirely unsurprising that Christians are flawed. Uh, and however, we see, um, nevertheless, with the references both to, to Barnabas in, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, um, is it 1 Corinthians 9? Um, well, one, there's a reference to Barnabas, uh, and then there's also a, several references to, uh, to, to John Mark. These are guys who reconciled. That's very important. They, yes, they fell out, but they reconciled, and um, Paul is later warmly commending Mark uh, to... Colossians uh, 4.10. Yeah. yeah. So you've got... So that's one principle... Uh, that we need to be really careful um, reading the difference between description and prescription. Um, But I think there's... We need to be wise. Um, God has given us different gifts, different temperaments. We want to make the best use of uh, the the relationships and the options that we've got. Uh, And there'll be all sorts of reasons why it might uh, 
be unwise to work with with someone for the sake of the gospel. So let me give you an example. Uh, I think it might be unwise for me as a late 30 something married man to work with a 21 year old very attractive girl in close proximity in some gospel team just the two of us you don't think that would be just unwise it's not got anything to do with it's not that we've fallen out or i think just wisdom plays a part uh if you are if you if you know temperamentally that this this other person would uh, it would just be a recipe for frustration and falling out then actually i think we, we want that would play into the whole the whole dynamic um I think is that beginning to answer the question. I think we want to say we want to say relationships, sustaining unity in relationships, is absolutely vital. Uh, and whenever we can work together, we should. Um, but with that said, for relationships of puri- for um, issues of purity and issues of practical wisdom, most of which I can't think of right at this minute, there are probably plenty of occasions that working very closely together might not be the wisest thing that we could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and just looking there at Acts 15, there's a, there's a good reason Paul has for not um, wanting to take Mark because he's withdrawn from them. I mm-hmm. don't know exactly what's going on there, but you know, it seems he's somewhat unreliable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the end of that, in verse 40, it's Paul and Silas who are commended, whereas there's no yeah. similar commendation for for Barnabas and Mark, but then also you alluded to the fact that later on that doesn't mean there's no way back for people we work with, yeah, yeah, yeah. that there's maturity, and as, as we've been addressing, about the desire to know and grow in our knowledge and love for Christ and our Christ-likeness, that just because at one time you can't work with someone doesn't mean that in the future um, that won't change um, as, as people mature. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Last written questions, so if you have any more, um, have them ready. Uh, what might be practical ways a small group of Christians, like a home group, uh, could partner in the gospel? Um, that, that comes back to some of the things we were talking about before. Um, I think you could partner, with the gos- partner in the gospel in a whole host of ways. I think uh, you're partnering with the gospel... Uh, as you learn together, uh, because we learn in community. Um, there's a great story, C.S. Lewis, where he, uh, he was friends with, with two other men, uh, Charles and Ronald, I think it is. Um, one, of them, one of them dies, and they were, they were devastated. They were three close friends. One of them dies. Uh, I think it was Ronald. Uh, and C.S. Lewis, after sort of recovering from the grief, began to think, Actually, at least I'll have more of Charles now. But I actually find out he had less of Charles. Because what happens when we... Um, there, there's parts of Ronald that only Charles brought out. Do you get the idea? So actually he had less of Charles. And, and that's the same with, with God. It's actually we learn from one another as we are seeing 
other people engage with God, learn from God, be changed by God. We are learning more about God as we do that. Christian, Christianity is, is meant to be learned in community. Uh, and a small group where we're honest with each other, uh, where we can learn together, uh, that's one key way of partnering together. Uh, second way is to hold one another accountable. Uh, as if we can build up those relationships to such an extent where we are confessing our sin to one another, uh, praying for one another along those lines, asking one another how we're getting on with a relationship that we're struggling at in work, a temptation that we're fighting. Uh, that's a way of partnering in the gospel. So prayer, uh, learning, uh, service uh, in the church. Uh, so in our local church, we, we try to encourage life groups together to take on a task, uh, whatever, whatever it is, um, and they will, do, they will do some of that together. We'll do some, um, and actually by serving together, that's one of the key ways in which as we saw in chapter one, affection for one another grows, trust with one another grows. So serve, partnering and serving together, and partnering in, in prayer, um, and partnering in mission. Uh, and one of the things that we try to, um, it, it, with the different groups, um, we are all made up of different personalities and skills and gifts and so on. And so you may find, look, I am just not a brilliant evangelist. When someone asks me a question, I freeze. I just have nothing, you know. I know, you know, I know the answer like six and a half hours later in the middle of the night. That's what she said. But I know that there's a person in my small group, and you know what? If you introduce any non-Christian to them, almost within five minutes, they're talking about Jesus, and well, I wish I was more like that. Well, how about you organize a social thing, and you start inviting your non-Christian friends along and introducing them to your Christian home group friends, uh, some of whom are great evangelists, and... And do you see how you can begin to do mission together by doing something socially? Or you, we could even, and we're beginning to think, just dream about this in, in our local church. And I know uh, there's a local church down the road that is more deliberate on this. It actually encourages each home group to go out and do something once a quarter in the local community, whether that's volunteer together to do something, whether that's, there's a walking group, they, they go with the walking group, there's a bike riding club, they go together and do that uh, and just make relationships. And, and so there's a host of things that we can do together um, if we're creative uh, and passionate that we can do to partner together in the gospel. That's just, just something. Yeah, I know someone who joined a reading group uh, with some friends and there were Christian friends in the reading group and then they were inviting non-Christian friends and just took it in turns to choose a book and um, the themes of the book. And they basically just they went out for dinner then and mm-hmm. uh, talked through and led to lots of conversations about, um, I think it was a book focused on Middle East, so it was to do with Islam, so mm-hmm. conversations mm-hmm. religion mm-hmm. came up. So there's, and that's not something that's like an official church. This is yes, you know, yes. a ministry of our church. It's just a group of Christian friends. Um, you know, doing this, there's lots of avenues. Yeah. One particular bugbear of mine, can share this is Christians wanting to do kind of something themselves. So, classic example is we want to organise a, a, a kind of bike riding group. Okay, right? Want to organise a bike riding group? Great. Wouldn't it be better, like in Ballyagamore, where there's lots of mammals 
middle-aged men in Lycra. Um, how about you join a group that already exists? But do it together as a bunch of Christians. You, as a bunch, join that group. Make some friends. Maybe as you kind of make those friends, share the gospel together, uh, or share the gospel with these new friends that you make. Uh, so rather than th- so our instinct sometimes is to organize extra things in the church that we will do together as a little ghetto. No, no, not at all. Go, go out. Don't be organizing. We don't need to organize. We need nothing more on a church program. Absolutely nothing. Join stuff out there, uh, and then you will have you will have stories uh, to share and opportunities. So yeah, yeah. yeah I agree with that a lot. Yeah. Um, any other questions? Don't be shy. Okay, well, we'll bring our Q&A session to a close. And, uh, and then I have a few things I'd like to say um, now at, at the end of the, the weekend. Um, first, 